0: Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit OutreachChurch.net for downloads and service information. How are you guys? Awesome. Um, real quick before we get into the message this morning. There was a number of people on the team that um, shared things they were going through. Some of it was like, you know, work-related stress and, and people were actually texting them in the middle of them practicing this morning as they were preparing to lead worship. Um, Some of it was with health issues with family members and just different things that people were stressed about. And so we were praying for that stuff in the back room or, or pressure that was coming, you know, the temptations there to be stressed and to, to let it become the thing that we think about. And we were praying in the back room against it and just believing God and talking about it. And it just welled up in me to the point I couldn't be quiet of... Like, God, I thank you for this. I thank you that the enemy is trying his best to destroy what you're about to do in this place. Because when we stand on stage in a minute and what comes out of our mouth is worship in the face of everything that we're facing, it is, is it okay to say this? Like, (laughs) it's giving the finger to the enemy, it is like absolutely just in the face of what he's doing, like I see and I hear, it's not, you know, we're not blind and deaf, right? Like we live in the world, but not of the world, but it's not like we, we have no recollection of the fact that these things are coming. It's not like we're like ignorant to it, like, wait, what do you mean? No, I don't have any problems at work. That's, that's not being honest. That's not faith. Right? Like, no, I have a problem at work. There is a problem. I acknowledge there's something that's trying to create tension and stress and that would try to raise itself up against the knowledge of God that I have in my heart. But in the face of that, my response is going to be this I'm going to go on stage, I'm going to open my mouth, and what's in my heart is going to come pouring out, and I'm going to worship you in the face of the thing that you're doing. And so, even to the point where we can say, I thank you that you tried that this morning because it pushed me further into the heart of the Father like and 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 i just when we do that when when he pushes us and rather than us get responding in fear you know, in stress and worry and all those things you know jesus said be anxious and worry over nothing right like it wasn't like a, a suggestion like hey guys you know it'd be kind of cool if sometimes maybe you didn't get anxious and worry like it was a command be anxious over nothing and and when, when something comes that there's an opportunity there to become anxious, to become stressed, to become worried, to take the bait, to own that problem, to make that the thing that our m- mind is fixed on, and in the face of that, like it's one thing to praise Him when everything's amazing, like that's awesome too. When you're on top of the mountain, the sun's shining, the birds are singing, and everything's going right, choosing to praise Him in that moment is amazing. But I think sometimes even more amazing than that is when everything in the world looks like there's something going wrong, and you choose in that moment to climb to the top of the mountain hand over foot, and you get to the top and you stand there, or you just, in just in the valley, in the middle of the valley, you just drop to your knees, but it's not because of the weight of what's coming against you, it's because of the response to the one who's coming for you. And you just, in that moment, you choose Him. And you choose to worship Him. Like, the natural response of good things is worship. But when the natural response of those kind of things becomes worship too, I feel like the enemy is absolutely just so angry and then becomes terrified because he understands, I'm losing my hold. I'm losing my grip. The way that I used to have a way into their life, the foothold that I used to have, I'm losing it. And now when I'm pushing them, rather than them responding in fear and giving me a foothold, the Bible says don't give the devil a foothold, meaning he can't take one, but he will take every one you give him. I promise you, you give him one, he will take it. He doesn't miss anything that you offer. He's vigilant. They don't, I'm telling you, the demonic realm does not miss one thing that you offer. You open a window, and they're coming in. That's why the Bible says, don't give him a foothold. He can't take one in your life. He can't take a foothold in your life. You understand that you can live your life following Jesus to the point where he has no place, and you can say like, like Jesus did, he has no place in me. I'm not saying that you're never going to do anything wrong. I'm saying that your response, even when you do something wrong, is that you don't take that and make that something that allows him a place in your heart. So rather than when you miss the mark, sitting there going, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm still such a sinner. I've been doing this for so long, and I've been walking after Jesus for so long, I can't believe that even after all this time, I'm still such a sinner, and I'm still so, oh, and, and now all of a sudden you're taking that problem, you're internalizing it, now you're making it, there's something wrong with me. And what you're saying is there's a part of me that Jesus didn't fix on the cross, and when He said it was finished, He meant that for everybody but me, I'm still in progress. And rather than that, what you do is this. You take that thing, even that can push you into a place of worship. And something that used to crush you and cause you to retreat and sink back and have to spend weeks trying to earn your way back to where you were before you did that thing that you wish you didn't, that can even push you into worshiping Him. Because when it starts to break your heart, you can drop to your knees and thank Him. God, I thank you that that when, when I do something that used to be so easy for me to do, I didn't even notice it. Now it crushes my heart, God. That's because I'm changed. That's because I'm not who I used to be. And the proof of it is that I'm on my knees right now. And I'm thanking you that you've so changed me and that's not who I am anymore. All of a sudden, death, where's your sting? What place does he have in the heart that is on its knees before the Father thanking him for the fact that they feel the pain that they feel in their heart in that moment? What place does he have there? And all it did was it backfired on him. Just like it says, if they would have known what they were doing, they never would have crucified him. Why? Because if they would have known that it was going to bring you freedom, they never would have done the thing that brought you freedom. They would have let, In fact, the enemy would have went in front of him and made sure that there was nobody on a ladder above him. Like that there was no boulders. Like he would have made sure there's no boulders hanging over the edge of a cliff if Jesus was walking by. He would have gone out of his way to try to make sure that he lived the longest life that he possibly could and that he would never die if he would have known what killing Jesus was going to do. The Bible says that. If they would have known, they never would have. But he can't help himself. And it's just the same way with you. He's pushing and pushing and pushing because he believes that you'll respond the way you always did. Because he doesn't believe that you really believe the things that you say. Why? Because he's a liar and the truth isn't in him. He doesn't understand when someone opens their mouth and speaks and there's actual truth and conviction inside of their heart. It says when he lies, he speaks his native language. Meaning what? That's what's inside of him. It's who he is. He's a liar from the beginning. And when he opens his mouth and speaks, nothing but lies come out. So when you open your mouth and speak, he thinks that it's a lie. But all of a sudden, now he sees what you, hears what you're saying. But not only does he hear what you're saying, but he sees what you're doing and the two match. And your dual focus now suddenly becomes a single eye. And Jesus said, if your eye is single, meaning what? It means if you only have one focus, if you only have one thing that you're looking at, you're not dual-eyed. You're not over here one day and over there the next day. You have single focus. You're focused on Jesus. That's the truth. It says then your whole body is flooded with light. Why? Because suddenly what I'm saying and what I'm doing match up. And I'm proving to my heart that I actually believe the things that I say. You know, sometimes we don't believe ourselves because our heart knows the thing coming out of our mouth isn't true. That's the worst place to be. How can you ever have faith if when the thing that your mouth is saying doesn't bear witness to the truth that your heart knows? That's how you become a hypocrite. When what comes from your mouth doesn't actually match what's going on in your heart. And your heart knows it's not true when it hears it come out. And there's not an ounce of faith in what you're saying because your heart doesn't believe the things that your mouth is saying. But when your life actually lines up with the truth that comes from your mouth, all of a sudden, when you speak something, because what's in your heart matches what's coming out of your mouth, there's faith there. Even in the midst of something like a stressful situation that normally would have caused you to freak out and lose your religion, and act like anybody else, you can't because there's this anchor in your heart called Jesus. Jesus. And because your eyes single, because He's all you see and He's what you're focused on, suddenly you can't even respond the way that you used to respond. Why? Because you're not the person that you were. That's where we have to actually believe that when we became born again, we became a new creation in Christ and all things passed away and behold, everything became new. This is all Scripture. The proof of that is our life begins to look differently because of what's inside of us. Not because of what's going on around us. God is not a janitor. The minute you got born again, God didn't dispatch angels and say, okay, go ahead of him and make sure that nothing ever hard comes into his life. Clean up on aisles six, seven, and nine because that's where he's headed next. That's not what he said. What did he say? He said, in this world, you'll, you'll face trials. That word trial, is actually, the Greek word flips which means pressure. What is pressure doing? It's trying to conform something. It's pushing on something. It's how you make something when you mold it. You have a mold that looks like something. You take something, and you press it into that mold, and it takes on the appearance of that mold. There, in the world, there's going to be pressure. The world is trying to get you to conform to it. But Jesus said, don't be conformed, or Paul said, don't be conformed by the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So what's he saying? Don't be pressed into that mold. Don't let the pressure that's in the world. Why? Because I've already overcome the world. Take heart. He didn't say, you know, hey guys, if you get born again and the pressure suddenly leaves the, the earth and you live in this vacuum bubble where there's nothing ever that goes on around you that could ever be a temptation for you to feel frustrated, angry. No one's ever made you angry. You know, we talk about that like, oh, they just make me so angry. No, they don't. They give you an opportunity to show them what's really going on inside of you. No one's ever made you angry. You've chose anger every single time. But you don't know what they did You don't understand what he did. If you did, you wouldn't give yourself the the right to respond in anger to somebody doing something that doesn't know who they are. Why? Because if anyone had the excuse and the reason to let someone make them angry, it was Jesus. But that's Jesus. What about Stephen? I promise you, when people are hurling false accusations at you and are gnashing their teeth and picking up stones to kill you because you're simply trying to teach them the gospel that will save their lives the way it saved yours, there's opportunity there to look at them and say, after everything I'm doing for you, this is going to be your response. You're going to kill me. I'm just speaking the truth to you. You could have got an attitude real quick. You could have, they could have made you angry. And you could have held on to it and said it was righteous anger. But the truth of the matter is is all they were doing was giving Stephen an opportunity to expose what was in his heart and what was in his heart. Father, don't hold this sin against them. Why? He has nothing but love inside of him because he's actually been changed into the image of the one he's in love with. That's the gospel. That's the power of the gospel. It's to be able to look at people who have stones in their hand and murder in their heart and all you can think about is I'm going to go be with him. I know where I'm going. God I, I, look, he he says, I, I, heaven opened and he says, I see the Son of Man standing at the right hand of the Father. Jesus is so excited about what's happening. He's standing. Why? Because he's seeing himself reproduced in another. And it's the whole reason he came to earth was to reproduce himself inside of somebody. And when he hears Stephen, he doesn't even have to hear it come out of his mouth yet. It's before it even comes from his mouth. Because God, while well, man's looking at the outside, God's looking at the heart. And Jesus is seeing from heaven into Stephen's heart at that moment. And He's standing at his father's right hand excited because he sees what's going on in Stephen's heart. And he sees there's nothing but love for these people inside of there. There's not an ounce of hate. There's not an ounce of anger. He's not biting his his lip and trying not to be something he's opening his mouth and letting what he is come out that's the gospel that's the gospel like that right there is the gospel it is the life transforming power that Jesus gave his life and shed his blood so that we could become who we were always created in the beginning to be apart from sin and apart from being apart from the presence of God that we could actually boldly come into his presence and stand before him and know that we are accepted, loved, forgiven and even wanted in his presence because the blood of Jesus has cleansed us from all unrighteousness and because we've now become new creations, sons and daughters of God, adopted back into the family, grafted back into the original tree that was planted in the garden that was intended from the beginning. <sighs> If I just slowed down, I could have made that the whole message today. <laughs> I can't. It's in me like that. If I try to slow it down, some people are, sometimes people. That's why we have a podcast. You can go back and you can pause it. I have people tell me that they're like, "I'm so thankful there's a podcast because I just had go back and I listen to little bits at a time and I pause it and then write something down and then I listen a little bit and pause it and whatever. I can't. It, it's if I try to slow it down, it'll probably stop. Um but yeah, that's that's what that's what happened this morning on stage was a bunch of people who had every reason to come out and then be stressed, be angry, feel like, what did I ever do to deserve this? That's a right we give ourselves. You didn't do anything. Quit making it all about you. You live in a fallen world surrounded by people that don't know who they are and have no idea who you are because they're so lost themselves. Why would they ever treat you right? They don't even treat themselves right. They haven't made the one decision that can actually open them up and allow them to become who they were always meant to be They haven't even surrendered their life to Jesus. Why in the world would they surrender their life to you? They haven't submitted to His Lordship. How can they submit themselves to yours? It's not lordship like we lord it over each other, but the Bible does say, submit yourselves, therefore, one to another. What's it saying? Submit yourselves to each other. Don't prefer yourself over another. Don't think that you're higher than another. And don't stand there and hold on to your rights and say, what did I ever do to deserve this? You didn't do anything. What did Jesus ever do to deserve it? Do you ever hear that come out of His mouth? Can you imagine Him on the cross going, Father, smite them for they know not who I am. Think about how weird that would be for Jesus to be on the cross and to think for himself and to think, what did I ever do to deserve this? Yet he didn't. Stephen. This is why I love that the story of Stephen's in the Bible because it shows and forever silences the, well, that was Jesus. Because no, that was Stephen facing the exact same thing that Jesus faced and the exact same thing was in His heart that was in the heart of Jesus and the exact same thing came from His mouth. Father, just don't hold this against Him. God, don't count this sin against Him. What's He saying? I care more about them than I do my own life. I love my own life, not unto death. Why? It's the Gospel. He was really changed. That doesn't happen apart from being changed by the Gospel. There's no chance... There's no chance apart from the gospel you look at the very people who have stones in their hands and murder in their heart and all you can think is, oh man, God, please forgive them for this because I want them to be with me forever. We're trying to get so far from people, you know, we cut people out of our lives and, and, and we want to be as far from them as possible because they're toxic people. And Stephen's saying, I want to be with all of them forever. That's a little bit of a paradigm shift. We're so busy trying to figure out who we can cut out of our life to make our life better. And Stephen's so busy going, you see all these people that want to kill me? I hope I see them every single day for the rest of eternity. So God, don't hold this against them. Because the worst thing that that could ever happen would be for them to miss what you've done and to not spend eternity forever with us in heaven. I know where I'm going. I'm not concerned with that anymore. That's a settled issue. That's a done deal. My concern now is for them, not myself. Maybe the person that you want to cut out of your life because they're toxic, you're actually in their life because you're not. And what if everybody that was toxic was cut out by everybody that wasn't? Then you'd have a bunch of toxic people all around each other with no hope of ever becoming different because they're all the same. See, if we think for ourselves, we'll look at people... uh, Hey, listen, I'm challenging myself with these words as they're coming out of my mouth, okay? Don't look at me with that tone. I promise you. But, but what if that toxic person is actually in your life because they're toxic and because the father has a plan for their life that changes them? What if greater is He that's in you than He that is in the world, He that is in them? And the father is betting that if He puts you in their vicinity at some point, what's inside of you will overcome what's inside of them. What if you're His plan A, B, and C for that person? I'm serious. Think about how much permission we give ourselves to do stuff like that. Uh, look, I'm not, you know, I'm not saying you have to lay there and be abused, but I am saying that like, be real careful before you start claiming anybody who's toxic in your life is going to get cut out of your life that you're not more afraid of what's in them than you are excited about what's in you. Because a lot of times what we don't even understand we're doing is we're saying, I'm more afraid of what's in them destroying what's in me than what's in me destroying what's in them. We don't say that with our mouth because if we did it, it would sound so silly. We would never think about doing it. So we say things like, well, you know, it's just, I, I just have to take care of me. And, and, and you know, they, they, they've made their choice and they're a toxic person, and I don't have to choose to allow them to do this. In fact, I'm going to have boundaries, very clear boundaries. I'm not against having some boundaries, you know, like I have doors on my house, I have a door on my bedroom. Right? like It's not like all boundaries are bad. But I am saying this, be really careful that your boundaries aren't to protect you more than they are to actually love the world. What if inside of your boundary there's supposed to be people inside of there that can't get away and that fence is supposed to keep them in so that you can be around them rather than keep them out so that they're separated from you? Maybe God wants you to have a fence. He just wants to have a few more people inside of it. I'm serious, like we have to think about these things because if we can't find it in the life of Jesus, we probably shouldn't claim it as our own. So what did Jesus say? Jesus said, listen, he told the disciples, We will say this all the time, And, and I used to say it all the time too, but I'm having to rethink this stuff. Well, you know, Jesus said to kick the dust off your feet and move on if they don't accept what you're doing. That was one time when he was sending them out on a mission trip and they were going out for a specific time and coming back for a specific time and they were t- actually carrying the gospel, and they couldn't waste their time being in some place because that's not where they lived. But I'm not talking about when you go on a mission trip trying to figure out who actually wants to hear the gospel and who doesn't. I'm talking about in your daily life with the person who lives next to you that you can't move away from. Not on a mission trip where you have limited time and you're trying to figure out, I've got to spend my time pouring this gospel into the people who actually want it. I'm not talking about that. That's a whole different thing than saying, in my life, God planted that person next to me. At my work, God put me in in contact with this person. And I'm so busy over here trying to build a fence to keep them out. And really, honestly, what does it look like to the world? Why do people build fences? Because we're afraid of whatever it is that we're building the fence to keep out. That's it. That's it. They build fences around villages in Africa. Why? Because they don't want the lions coming in and eating their children. If the lions were incapable of eating their children, they wouldn't worry about building fences. They'd let them come in. Because they're worried about them destroying property. So we build these fences for these reasons, and what we're saying is I'm more afraid of the thing that's out there than I am the thing that's in here. And that's okay when you're talking about protecting your children from dogs or or lions, if, if that's the case, right? That's totally fine. But it's not okay when we're talking about the Spirit of God that lives inside of you. Because there should never be a time in your life where you fear more the thing that's out there than you do trust the thing that's in here. Just be careful. Be careful that things that sound really good, and they're adopted by a lot of people, popular opinions that sound good are not always God. I could give examples, but you probably know a few. And just because everybody seems to think it's the best thing to do doesn't mean that God does. In fact, if we were to make an example of something and we were to put something in stone and say it's more likely this way, it's more likely that the thing that more more people are not going after is the thing that God's called us to. you look at Jesus, I mean, He's here in the flesh. He's at the cross. He's got one person still following him. The rest of them are chasing a different idea because he was an utter disappointment to them because he didn't perform the tricks that they thought he came to perform. All right. Is everybody all right this morning? Just need to have an altar call right now for people who have given themselves permission to cut people out of their lives. Why don't we just do that? If you've done that, if you've given yourself permission that God hasn't given you, if you would honestly say that standing there like Stephen, when people have rocks in their hands and they're wanting to kill you, that your reaction would be to build a wall to keep the rocks from hurting you rather than to keep the wall down so that what you have inside could actually destroy what's inside of them. Just stand up and let's pray together real quick. Let's crush that thing. Yeah, I'm standing right now because I want this. Because I honestly want to be more confident in what's in me than I am worried about what's in somebody else. I don't ever want to live in a place where I feel like I'm more fragile than someone else is. In fact, I want to live in a place where when somebody doesn't like me, I look at Jesus and I say, well, you said if the world hates me, it's because they hated you first. It's actually you that they hate. And I'm going to show them who you are to the point where they actually love you. They're going to be my target from now on rather than my enemy. They're going to be the victim of love. I'm not going to be the victim of hate. God, I thank You for that. I thank You for for a shift in our hearts, God. Where we would be so careful to listen to hear Your voice before we would ever do something like separate ourselves from somebody. God, that we would only do it through tears when You've called us to, but that our default response would be the response of Jesus and the response of Stephen when people gather stones, is to look at them with nothing but love and think the most important thing that these people could ever do is receive what I have because I want to spend eternity with them. And I thank You for that in Jesus' name. Amen. And then you think about it. like We're worried about spending another day with people sometimes. Stephen's worried about spending eternity with the ones that want to kill him. It's a little different. All right, open your Bibles up to that was free. Now you get what you tithed for. Second um, Kings, chapter four, verse one. How much time do we have? Eleven thirty-six. Okay, we'll get through part of this this week, maybe. Well, we'll see. I was thinking um, a lot in the past couple weeks about um, the things that we pray sometimes of, you know, fill me up, God, and we, we sing songs, fill me up, God, you know, and we, 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 we say that like, God, I just want to be full of you, and, and, um, and I felt like God challenged me just through a story that I read um, in Second Kings chapter 4, it says, now a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha. My servant, my, your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord. And the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. Elisha said to her, What shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? And she said, Your maidservant has nothing in the house, except a jar of oil. Then he said, Go borrow vessels at large for yourself from all your neighbors, even empty vessels. Do not get a few. And you shall go in and shut the door behind you and your sons and pour out into all these vessels and you shall set aside what is full. So she went from him and shut the door behind her and her sons and they were bringing the vessels to her and she poured. When the vessels were full, she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not one vessel more. And the oil stopped. Then she came and told the man of God and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debt. You and your sons can live on the rest. God, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You for Your Word that's already come forth and Your Word that is coming forth, God, that that You would open our ears to hear it. God, our minds to understand that we have the mind of Christ, God, that we can hear what Your Spirit is saying. That by the Spirit, we can discern everything that You had in Your heart as You wrote this passage and understand it. I pray that our hearts would be good soil to receive the seed of Your Word, that they would bring forth fruit in our lives, God. That a world that doesn't know You would taste the fruit of our lives, that they would taste the fruit of my life that's hanging on the tree that you've produced in me, and that they would know that you're good. And I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. So, I read that story, and I've, I've read it before, and I thought, wow, that was awesome, you know, like that God did that. And, and it was, it's an amazing miracle. Well, then I felt this question rise up in me. That what if God wants to fill our lives but will only fill to the level that we make room for? And what if we can limit a limitless God not because He is not able and willing to fill our lives but because He is extravagant but never wasteful? So here's a woman whose husband has died and she comes to Elisha, the prophet whom he served. As a, he was obviously a servant of Elisha's. And, and she says, My husband, your servant, has died. And we have debt. And back in those days, you couldn't just file bankruptcy. They would get their money somehow. And she said, And so the creditors are going to come and they're going to take my two sons and they're going to put them in slavery to pay the debt. They would do this in those days. They would take you and they would force you to work for free until you had served enough to pay off the debt. It's kind of what sin does except for there's no end. The debt's never paid. It's a cruel taskmaster that brings you into slavery and says you have to work until the debt is paid and then it keeps moving the amount of the debt up as you keep working. And so, she comes to Elisha. She doesn't know what to do. And Elisha says, and when we read it, he says, what shall I do for you? What do you have in your house? But I think it was probably more like Elisha heard what she said, and he said, what shall I do for you? And I believe in that moment, he probably prayed. I don't think he came up with this on his own. I don't think he just concocted this thing. Or maybe it was something he knew about the character and nature of God. And he said, What shall I do for you? And then I believe either God put it on his heart or because of a revelation he carried of the character and nature of the Father, he looked at her and said, what do you have in your house? See, a lot of times when God wants to do something in our lives, he wants to take the thing that we already have that we don't realize is enough. He wants to breathe on it and he wants to make it enough. Moses says, I'm going to go to the people, but what if they don't believe me? God says, what do you have in your hand? Moses says, a staff. A staff. Why does he have a staff? He's a shepherd. There was nothing supernatural about that staff. It was simply for herding sheep, for fighting off things, for protection. It was what a shepherd carried. And a lot of times we look down on the things that we actually have in our hand and when we look at something and see a staff, God looks at something and sees a serpent that will devour other serpents. God looks at something that when raised over Moses' head in obedience to him will part the sea in front of him. God sees something that when he strikes a rock in obedience, the number of times God tells him to, sweet water will flow from the middle of a rock in the middle of a desert. And all Moses sees is a staff. Be really careful that you don't despise the thing that you have in your hand because it doesn't look like the thing that the great man of God or woman of God that you know has in their hand. Because while you're busy looking at just the staff, God sees it as so much more if you just surrender it to Him and submit it to Him and be obedient with what He tells you to do with it. God says to Moses, you think that's just a staff? Put it on the ground, throw it down. Becomes a serpent. He's trying to show Moses, Moses, there's so much more to you than you just being a shepherd. There's so much more to the things that you have. And now grab it by the tail. Now pick it back up. Grabs it by the tail, turns back into a staff. What's he saying? Listen, that thing that's in your hand isn't important. It's the one who's asking you the question that's important. If you just do what I tell you to do, what's in your hand will always be enough. Always. Thanks, Patty. It's my wife. And so, Elijah says to her, she automatically thinks of what she doesn't have, right? She automatically thinks relaxed. It's like the disciples. Jesus says, there, you know, there's 5,000 men, meaning there's probably 20,000 people, and Jesus says to them, he says, I want to feed these people of compassion. They're hungry. They're, they look at them. They say, even if we were to spend 200 denarii on bread, there's not enough to feed all these people. And where would we have it anyways? We just know nowhere to go get it. The first thing they think of is the reasons they can't do the thing that He's just told them to do. It's the same thing Moses does. He thinks of the reason why he can't. I can't speak well. I'm afraid. I'm wanted for murder. I'm this. I'm that. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. And God's looking at him saying, do you understand that you're talking to the God of the universe? There's a chance that I can make you able to do the thing I'm asking asking you to go do. If I can speak and the sun can come roaring out of my mouth, you can probably go to a leader and tell him to let my people go. You can probably feed a crowd of people. If I can make the sun stand still up in the sky for 24 hours and not go down while I lead my people in battle, I can probably come up with a way to feed these people. But they automatically look at what they don't have and the reasons they can't We don't have enough bread and there's nowhere to get it. Be careful. This is something God challenged me with a while ago, but be careful, Roy, if the things that I call you to, the first thing you start to look for are the reasons why you can't. Because what does Jesus care about? He says, well, what do you have? God says to Moses, what do you have? Elijah says to the woman, what do you have? So he tells her, he says, says, I have nothing but a jar of oil. She's so aware of what she doesn't have that the first thing that comes out of her mouth is, I have nothing. He never said, Do you have all these things? Do you have bread? Do you have wine? Do you have flour? Do you have oil? Oh, I don't have anything but oil. He just said, What do you have? And immediately the first response out of her mouth is, I have nothing but a jar of oil. He says, okay, here's what I want you to do. Go borrow vessels at large for yourself from all your neighbors. Even empty vessels. Do not get a few. What's he saying? He's saying, okay, here's what I want you to do. The Lord is going to provide for you, but something's going to be required of you as well. If God can make oil just magically keep pouring out of, a, out of a little jar, He probably can make vessels just appear in her room. But that's not His heart. His heart never is to do everything while we sit back. He always invites us into it. Could He have destroyed the Midianites without Gideon's obedience? Yes, but He didn't want to because He wanted Gideon's obedience because He was as, con- as committed to Gideon as He was to destroying their enemies. God is, 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 he is at least as concerned with you and who you are as a person and you becoming who he created you to be as he is with the task he's put in front of you that he wants you to do. He doesn't use people, not the way that human beings use people. Human beings use people by saying, I care more about what you can do than who you are. That's not the heart of the Father. The Father says, I care more about who you are than what you can do, because if you understand who you are, the, the limit to what you can do is endless. If you understand that you're a child of mine and I'm your father, anything I ask you to do, you'll just like a child, go and do it. And so he says, I want you to go gather vessels. And listen, don't just get a few. Don't just get a few. Go to your neighbors. Empty vessels. Go get them. And once you've gathered vessels, then go into the room and shut the door and begin to pour the oil. And as the vessels are filled, set them aside. Why did she have to shut her door? I don't know, but she did. Sometimes things that we think are so insignificant that we look over them are things that actually are part of the process that God wants to do in our life. And if he said shut the door, going in there and pouring the oil would do nothing unless you shut the door first. Because that little phrase isn't in the Bible just to make it that much longer. It's because he's, He wants our obedience. He wants our trust. He wants to be able to say, once you've gathered the vessels, then go in the room shut the door and begin pouring and realize that we will actually value His words so much that even something that seems insignificant, like whether I shut the door or not, actually matters. And so I shut the door. Not because I think it's important, but because He did. Because He spoke it. And He doesn't waste His words. So they go out and they gather these vessels. and Now this isn't like very easy work. Her sons go to get vessels... Back then, if she would have had like a donkey and a cart, she would have sold it to keep her sons from going into slavery. She had nothing. They had nothing. Which means what? It means long, hot walks to the neighbor's house carrying something heavy and bringing it back. Well, well, there's no striving, you know? Tell that to the widow, tell that to her sons. Oh, no, you, you don't have to work. Oh, really? Tell that to Jesus while He's being a carpenter and being ma- made into the person He's supposed to be when He steps onto the stage in ministry, being obedient and serving His Father and making furniture. I promise you, Jesus didn't stand back and go... He said, my time has not yet come at the wedding. This was long after He'd been a carpenter for years. He was not standing back there going, chair. Chair. I know it seems silly and we laugh, but think about it. He actually, what did he do? He worked. He used his hands and he actually created something that was worth something, that was of value, and his father would sell it in his shop. He worked with his hands. If anyone was capable of saying, chair, and making a chair appear, it was the one who, by him and through him, all things are created. So the wood that he built the chair with was created by the sound of his voice, But the chair that was made with the wood that he spoke into existence was made by the work of his hands. That's pretty incredible. I bet they were awesome chairs too. Because he did everything as if unto his father. We laugh, but listen, Christians should be known. People who serve the Lord, who follow Jesus, should be known as the most excellent in whatever they do. It's not okay to just say, you know, I just don't care about this stuff because I just all I really want to do is love Jesus. Well, love Him by serving people and doing what you're supposed to do to the best of your ability because you're not doing it for people, you're doing it for Him. There should never be an excuse to do something less than our best. Ever. Because nothing we do is for people. Everything we do is for Him. Seriously. So, they go carry these jugs. Why didn't Elijah just say, okay, start filling, You have uh, uh, go get two jugs. And every time you fill a jug, or go get one jug, and every time you fill a jug, the jug will just reproduce itself and then just fill the next one. And then when that one gets full, it will reproduce itself. I mean, if you can make oil continually pour from a little jar enough to fill as many j- vessels as they get, you're certainly capable of reproducing vessels. It's not like God's in heaven going, oh, I wish I knew a trick for vessels, but I don't. I only know for olive oil. I promise you, He's not in heaven going, oh, I forgot the spell for vessels. Good thing I remember the one for olive oil. No, why? Because He wants them to actually take part in what He's doing. Why? Because it takes faith to go get vessels and bring them into your house and, and, and plan to fill them when all you have is a small jar of oil. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. And he wants us to step into something and and actually step into it by faith and be part of what he's doing, not a bystander. So he says, go get a bunch of vessels. Don't just get a few. Bring them back. And listen, here's the thing. So here is where they decide what the miracle looks like because Elijah never told them how many vessels to get. He just said, go get a bunch. And I believe whether they would have collected two vessels or 200 vessels, the oil would have kept pouring as long as there was some place for it to go and some empty space for it to fill. Because Elijah never said, go get 17 vessels. He just said, go borrow them from the neighbors. Go get them. Don't get a few. Don't limit what God's about to do. So, I really honestly believe that that part of the miracle was up to them. It had to be. I believe a big part of how much of God we have in our lives is up to us. It has to be. Otherwise, He's a respecter of persons, and He just sovereignly chooses people to give more of Himself to than others. The verse that says God's not a respecter of persons. I don't I don't I don't believe that means like God just sovereignly chooses people and there's no reason and there's no you know it's it's not because he has favorites. I think what that means is that everybody has equal access to him and everybody gets filled to the measure that they come after him to get filled by. So they 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 like actually play a part in this miracle, and so they go out, they get vessels, and they bring them in. And as long as there's an empty jar, the oil keeps flowing. And, and the woman, she filling the last jar, setting it aside, and she says to her sons, get me another vessel. And they say, there are no more. And instantly the oil stops. Why? Because God has no intention of pouring oil on the floor and it being wasted. He will only put it where there's been a place prepared for it. And, and listen, this is something he really spoke to me it just said it just like this, so I wrote it just like this, and I'm going to read it just like this. Sometimes the things you do in obedience when you don't understand why are the very things that create the framework to contain the blessing. Sometimes the things that God's called you to do that you don't understand why that you're doing out of obedience only because He told you to? She had no reason to do this other than the man of God told her. And when a prophet spoke in those days, they took it as if it was the Word of the Lord. So because God said to go get vessels, they went and got vessels. No other reason. Strictly obedience. It wasn't like they knew what was going to happen. Maybe they had an idea. He said, fill the vessels. And when they get full, set them aside. So they probably had some kind of an idea. But you know, there's got to be that nagging doubt of like, is this crazy? You ever had that where God, you know God spoke something to you, but while you're doing it, that doubt comes and you start asking yourself, if, is this crazy? The things you do in obedience, and usually a lot of times you don't know why. Like Moses, I mean, Noah had to have so many of those moments when he's building the boat. Of like, I'm going to do this because I know you said to, but is this crazy? Was I out there for too long without water? Did I just make this up in my head? Do you know how many animals there are? allergic to cats. And God said, don't bring cats. And Moses was, dis- or Noah was disobedient. We've all suffered since. Look, you guys get more excited about a cat joke than anything else. I'm just going to start telling cat jokes up here. Like, yeah. No, but Seriously. There ought to be those times. Why? Because a lot of the things that we read about in the Word don't make sense until God shows up and does what He was planning to do the whole time. If you never have a time in your life where you're looking at what God's called you to going, is this crazy? Where you go to your friends and you're like, hey, uh, I'm going to tell you something, but you can't tell anybody else. And they're like, okay. And, and right when you do that, people think that you have bad news to tell them, right? It's a shame that when Christians come to someone and say, I've got to tell you something, but you can't tell anybody that we expect to hear bad news about somebody else in our hearts. That means that gossip is way too prevalent in the church. It means that slander is way too prevalent in the church. We should be expecting to hear something so amazing that somebody got healed, but we can't tell anybody. That was the kind of things Jesus said not to tell anyone. People got healed. Not people at sin. There should be those times though. I just believe there should be times where where, where, we're talking to our friends and we're like, hey, i got to tell you something but you can't tell anybody. And the reason you don't want them to tell anybody is because you know it sounds crazy to you. You can't imagine what it's going to sound like when it gets through the telephone of your friends. Hey, did you hear Roy thinks that aliens are coming to get him so he's building a room in his house? That's not what I said. I said I felt like I was supposed to build a prayer room and live like an alien in this land and set myself apart. <laughs> you know? Roy thinks aliens are really the thing that's going to save us. What? what are they? No, but really though, there should be these times in our lives where we go to our friends and we're like, hey, don't tell anybody this, but does this sound crazy? And our friends should be so full of faith that they look at us and go, no, man, that makes perfect sense. If God called you to that, go, I'm for you keep doing it not yeah <laughs> Dude, that sounds crazy But <laughs> i just like I, I was reading this and i'm thinking like maybe our lives are a lot like those vessels and maybe it's what we do in preparation that when the oil starts pouring allows us to contain the, the more of god that we want and maybe if God's not pouring the oil yet, it's because we haven't prepared enough space for Him to give what He wants. And He would, because once the oil stops, then it was done. Like the lady couldn't be like, okay, pause, time out, the oil stopped, magic oil, you stay there, we're going to go get more vessels. No, when the oil stopped pouring, it was done. And the only thing that could contain the oil at that time was the things that they had prepared beforehand. Once the oil stopped pouring, it was too late. And what if God is sovereignly not pouring more into your life right now? Because He's saying, listen, there's not enough room in your life right now to contain what I want to give you. I've given you some, but I'm not going to give you the more until you create more space. Because I'm extravagant, but I'm not wasteful. Because you can feed 5,000 people, and there can be a bunch left over, but you better believe that my servants are coming after me, and they're going to clean up in the baskets and take every bit so that not a crumb is wasted. Carl taught me that he's extravagant, but he's not wasteful. So how do we make room? I'm just—I'm going to close up with this because otherwise, if I get into the stuff about the loaves and fishes, we'll be here all night. <laughs> Hannah's like, do it. <laughs> What if God's the same today and He's not limited by supply, He's limited by space and by obedience? Like, we only have so much space in our lives, literally. Your brain can only, do you realize this is one of the main reasons why God wants you free from guilt and shame? Because your brain can only think about so many things at once, and if you're tied up in shame and guilt, He can't put the thoughts in your head that He wants you to have. So he wants to destroy guilt and shame. That's why he said when he forgives your sin, he remembers it no more. Why? Because he's not thinking about it anymore because he's thinking about the countless thoughts he has towards you that are as countless as the grains of sand in the desert. And he doesn't want you thinking about things that he thinks are worth forgetting. Why? Because you only have so much space. That's why it says that when, he, when uh, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all unrighteousness, it removes that unrighteousness from us, it removes the guilt, it removes the shame, it removes the remorse, it removes the regret. That's why Paul said, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, I press forward towards the mark of the high calling. What's he saying? I don't have any space in my head for that stuff that was back there. It wouldn't do me any good anyways. And he's already forgotten it, so I'm going to forget it too, and I'm going to keep moving forward and keep thinking the thoughts that he has for me to think, looking ahead, not remembering what was behind. Why? Because you only have so much space. He wants to fill it. But you notice he said get empty jars. Why? He has no interest in trying to pour oil into a jar that's already full of something else. None. None. He wants space so that he can fill it. Yeah, I know. But it says, it says good measure, pressed together, shaken, down, shaken and, and pressed down and shaken together will men pour into your bosoms so, it'll over, so that it will overflow. I get that, but who was the promise made to? He says, give and it shall be given to you. What's he saying? If you have a place for that stuff that I pour into your life to go, I'll pour so much that it overflows because you've already proven that when I give you more than you can handle rather than hoarding it for yourself and being wasteful, you'll actually be faithful to give it out to other people. Why? Because he has no interest in it collecting around your feet and ruining. None. So what do we do to make space? Well, I think, I mean, one of the, one of the main things that are the, are the first things that we should do probably is ask him, God, is there anything that I'm doing in my life that's taking up time and space that you want to fill And listen, this is not like a, this doesn't have to be like a sin thing. Like God, like if you're sinning, stop. Let's just make that clear right now. Like if it's sin, don't do it. That's wasted space. But then beyond that, as you become more like Him and the closer I walk to Him and the more I become transformed, that standard starts changing and things that were okay 10 years ago are not okay now. Not because they were a sin then and they would be a sin now. It's because because as I get to know Him more, I want more of Him. And I start looking at things and I go, that used to have a place in my life, but now I want Him so much more than I want that so I cast that off so I can have more of Him. Not because that's a sin, but because it's actually not as good as the thing that I'll get from Him if I make that room. It's not getting legalistic and saying, All right, smash the television. Unless he says to. But it is saying maybe we should surrender the things that we're doing in our lives to him and ask him if there's something in our life that's taking up space that he wants to fill. Because I believe this, I believe, honestly, that if that lady would have only went and got one jar, God would have honored her choice and only poured out one jar worth of oil. It's not as if God said, I have, let's just say it was 15 vessels, right? It's not as if God was in heaven saying, I have 15 vessels worth of oil and I'm going to pour 15 vessels worth of oil onto her whether she has enough room to contain it or not. I think God was in heaven with an unlimited supply saying, I will fill everything that she makes open and available to me. And I believe He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I believe that He will fill to capacity every place that we make open and available to Him. The second way that we make space is by sharing the things that He's given us. The, the greatest way to get more revelation of Him is to be faithful to share the revelation that He's given you. Why? Because as I give it away, I make room for new. Because he sees, okay, there's somebody that when I pour more than he can handle into him, he'll actually give it to other people and it will be a blessing to them. So who's he going to give more to when he's looking? One person who's going to keep it for themselves and only be blessed themselves or the person who will be faithful to share it with everybody so that he can pour into one pot and it can bless a hundred people versus pouring into one pot and blessing one person? He doesn't have a limited supply. He'll pour out stuff into your life, but until there's room, He won't pour anymore. You make room by giving away what He's given you. That's why Jesus said, freely you've received, now freely give. What was He saying? I don't give you these things to hoard. I give you these things so that you'll share them with people you go and tell people that's what evangelism is. It's freely giving what we've freely received. It's not me going, I have to go win a scalp today and get someone to say a prayer and go back and tell people that i got another notch on the belt. It's saying, there's people out there that need what I have, and if He's given it to me so freely, why would I not give it to them the same way? That's evangelism. That's when it becomes easy. Why? Because it's the overflow of what He's doing in my life. so'm i 'm doing this in my life right now and i've it 's actually been a while that god 's had me doing this where i 'm evaluating God, what am I doing that's not evil, not bad like i said if if, if you 're thinking about a sin like let me just go ahead and be the voice of God to you today, stop, give it up. but what about other things what about making food and cleaning up when you could be listening to what He's saying. There's nothing wrong with making food and cleaning up. Just make sure you're not doing that when you should be spending that time sitting at His feet listening to what He has to say. What about things that are good things but maybe too much of a good thing becomes a bad thing unless it's Him? Just start asking ourselves this. I've been doing this for a while. Like God, what am I doing that is not bearing fruit to the point that I should stop doing it so that I can actually open that space up for something more that You have. God, what am I giving time to right now that would be better spent giving that time into something else so that I can receive from You, God? What am I doing right now, God, that's not Your best for my life? It's not about sin. It's not like, God, what can I get away with and still think I'm a Christian? It's saying like, God, what can I do away with so I can become more like You? Like not... You said to get empty vessels. These are like three quarters filled. If I grab these, they're two feet out the front door. Let's just bring these in. It's easy. I don't have to walk far. I don't have to borrow from the neighbors. That They don't even like me anyways. And remember, I was kind of a jerk to him a couple months ago. Now i got to humble myself and go over there and borrow a job. See, sometimes what he's calling us to isn't the most convenient or the easiest. But if we'll actually do the thing he's called us to do, the reward will be so much greater than we could ever imagine that it will make the task seem so small. I promise you it seemed like a chore to those guys carrying those heavy vessels all the way from the neighborhood. They didn't have carts. you know. It's like they hopped in the car and drove over and backed up to the people's house, said, give us the vessels. <laughs> That's not how it went. Like they had to walk to where... The, I know, they weren't <laughs> Hispanic probably, but whatever. <laughs> they had to walk. They had to go there and like ask people. Like they had to humble themselves and say, hey, uh, does this sound crazy? I need to borrow as many vessels as you have empty ones why that's the natural response that everyone gives you when you if you came to my house and said hey man do you have any empty buckets i need to borrow as many as possible my first response would be why so here goes does this sound crazy you know elisha that bearded prophet (laughs) He told me to get as many empty jars as I can to even borrow them from my neighbors, and I had to get empty jars, and so that's why I'm here. Sometimes the thing that He calls you to won't make sense to people, but you're still called to it. And sometimes it seems like such a big deal, but I promise you, the oil was like gold back then, okay? This was not like, you know, $6 a gallon cheap canola oil. This was like... Oil was right up there with the greatest of commodities in those days. So much so that when she got, got done getting her vessels filled, God said, uh, Elijah said to her, the Lord said through Elijah, sell what you need to pay your debt, and you and your sons can live off of the profits of the rest. I promise you what seemed like such a chore and such a hassle and such an inconvenience when the oil started filling suddenly became no small matter. I mean, a a small matter and it was no longer looked at as a chore or inconvenience. And it was probably something they were thankful that they did even when they didn't understand why they were doing it. I I know this, there's days coming in our lives where we look at the things that we've done in obedience that we didn't understand why and now that the oil is flowing, we look and we thank God that we actually did the thing that seemed like such a big deal and it seems so trivial now because the reward is so much greater than the effort that was required. But there is effort required often. She still had to go get the vessels. She still had to shut the door and she had to pour the oil. God, I thank You for just speaking to our hearts right now, that even during this message, God, that that You're speaking to us. Holy Spirit, You're showing us things in our lives that that could be emptied so that You can fill them. I just pray right now, Lord, that You would begin to just just soften our hearts towards the idea that, that maybe there's things You're calling me to empty so that You can fill them. Not because they're full of bad things, but because You have something better. And God, I pray that the things You've called us to do in obedience, even the things we don't understand, God, that we will do them with a joy because we understand that we are maybe possibly that this thing that we're doing is building the framework for something You want to pour into our life. And that there's no substitute for preparation because once the oil starts, it's too late to prepare. I just thank You for that, Father. I thank You for for Your Word. I thank You that we can read this in Holy Spirit, that You can speak through this just as loudly and boldly today as You did thousands of years ago. I just ask that that we would take Your Word and and chew on it and think about it and meditate on it. and, And we'd be obedient to everything You've said to us through this and everything You will say in Jesus' name. Amen.